I'm gonna move these music sheets here if I could. Stands. So good. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Yeah. Happy. Happy Easter. Good. Well, it's, it's really exciting to see some new faces. Some faces that we haven't seen uh, since Christmas, which is cool. Um, but really excited to have y'all here. I'll just go ahead and introduce myself. I'll pray for us, and then we'll get it right in. How's that sound? Good. Good. All right, I'm going to have to start screaming to get y'all to wake up with us. Uh, but my name is Rich Perez. I'm the pastor here for Christ Crucified Fellowship. I know I'm a young buck, but yes, I'm uh, the pastor here. Um, and uh, we welcome you guys here to our Easter service, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we're excited to have you here, our visitors, our friends, our family. But I think what we're most excited about is to talk about Jesus, right? Uh, that he's no longer in the tomb. He's alive and well. Uh, and he's interceding on our behalf with our Father God. So I'm excited to share that good news to you guys, what that means for us, what that means for this community at large, like our brother Andy said. Uh, so I'm excited to just dig in with y'all. So I'm going to just go ahead and pray, and then we'll get it in. God, we just thank you so much for this time. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much for our family, our friends, our visitors. I pray that we're hospitable, God. I pray that they feel at home here with us. Uh, God, I pray that they would sense your presence. Uh, God, that we would proclaim Jesus, not us, uh, not anything that we do, not a program that we set up, but God, that everything we do, all programs, all strategies, uh, all of our thoughts, all of our efforts are so that your name, Jesus, could be made famous and people would be drawn to that and people would be transformed by that. God, that we don't worship a God that is dead, we worship a God that is alive. Uh, we worship a God that has given us life through his resurrection. Uh, so God, as we get it in, I pray that you be the one that speaks. God, I need your grace. I need your spirit to speak on my behalf, to speak uh, on your behalf through me. Uh, I need your gospel to be clear. I need your good news to be proclaimed. And we want to see people transformed, encouraged, and challenged in a way that will build them up. God, we really ask this of you. We pray that you be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So it's good. We're almost running out of seats. That's fantastic. I love that. We've got some seats kind of scattered in, in the middle. So we would ask people to just kind of crunch in so that as people walk in a little later, which is cool, uh, they can just slip right in and go unnoticed, right? Or I'll just make fun of them when they walk in late. We can do that too, so... Uh, but yeah, we just ask that you guys kind of scrunch in so that as people walk in late, they would sit on the sides, kind of go, go unnoticed. But here we are. A couple days ago, we celebrated Good Friday, right? Two days ago, in fact. Uh, and we celebrated the murder of our God, if I can put it, if I can put it plainly. Uh, Jesus was beaten, scourged, flogged, and crucified on a cross and then he died in our place for our sins. That's what we celebrated on Good Friday. And so here we are, Easter Sunday, celebrating the fact that he's risen. And I kind of want to share a little example of how this kind of works a bit. Uh, for the last several weeks, my wife and I, I don't know where she is, but she, you know, whenever you see the beautiful pregnant lady, that's my wife. 
Um, we have a little three-and-a-half-year-old son. Uh, and for the past couple weeks, he's, he's been a little disobedient. Right? A lot of disobedient, actually. He hasn't been listening. Right? He hasn't been listening. Uh, he hasn't been following some of the things that we ask him to do. Uh, in school, he's perfect, which is funny, but at home, he's not listening. So we've been dealing with that, and, and for us, this is new. We're new parents. Uh, we've got a, a baby girl on the way, so we're trying to figure things out now with Josiah so that we know a little more when Hayden Charlotte comes. So one of the things that we do is we talk all the time, honey, man, what do we do about this? This kid is very rebellious. You know, I want to really go old school Dominican on him and hit him with a chancleta or a pencha or something. Uh, but I want, I, I want him to learn, right? I know that sometimes that's not always fruitful. I do spank him. We do spank him. Um, but I want to try to teach him so that he's not just fearful of the chancleta, but he's learning to love and obey and listen and follow uh, out of his own desires, out of his own heart. So conversations we have kind of go like this. Well, honey, what do we do? I don't know. I don't know. We're in bed and we're just kind of dialoguing. Um, and then we say, well, let's just talk to him, right? Because he's three and a half, but he says he's 26. And... Um, <laughs> He says he's 26, and you can have a full-blown conversation with this kid. I kid you not. Uh, so I remember one day, uh, I came in. I was outside just doing work. I came home. I was really excited to just see Anna and, and Josiah. And I walk in the crib, and I'm, like, so excited. And I see Josiah sitting on, a, on our little um, kitchenette table thing that we got. Uh, and he's pouting, and he's got his head down, and he's holding his, his fork, and he's got his food in front of him. And I'm like, Josiah. And I look over to my wife, and I'm like, what happened? And she just looks at me, uh, he wasn't listening. He wasn't listening. You know, and she's just like, forget it, she's done. She goes, he just wasn't listening. And I uh, spanked him, and I put him on timeout. Uh, and I'm like, all right, cool. Take him to the room, start talking to him. And my initial reaction usually is very strict, and uh, God's been dealing with me to be gracious with my son because uh, he's been gracious with us. And so I'm trying to talk to him. And the first thing I ask him is, <clears throat> all right, Josiah, were you listening to mommy? And he kept his head down. He didn't say anything. I asked him again. I said, were you listening to mommy? Uh, he goes, no, I wasn't. So initially, I just want to, you know, spank the color off of him. But I said, I won't do that. Uh, I want to talk to him through it. I want to talk him through this. Um, and then I asked him, well, do you need help listening to mommy? Do you need help listening and obeying? And it was an odd question for him, I imagine, because he shot right up and he goes, like, what? What are you talking about? I said, do you need help listening and obeying uh, your, you know, mommy and poppy? And he said, after trying to figure it out, he goes, yes, I do. Uh, make a long story short, I asked him, well, who do you need, who do you, who do you, who can we turn to to help, to help you change your behavior, help you change your attitude? And he looked at me, he goes, Jesus? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, probably Jesus. And then I asked him, why can Jesus help us? How can Jesus help us change your behavior and your listening and your obeying? Uh, and he goes, because he listened to God. And I'm like, Good, you're passing the test. Wow, this is great. <laughs> and so I started to think on that, and I said to myself, why Jesus? Right, the conversation ended, he went on timeout, he learned, he came back, said sorry to mommy. 
But I started to think on that a bit more after, and I said, why Jesus? Why did I think that Jesus could change his behaviors, his motives, his attitudes? And I think it's because Jesus is unlike anyone else. Jesus resurrected from the dead and is no longer bound by the things in this world that have corrupted our hearts toward disobedience. I'll say that again. Jesus, unlike anyone else, resurrected from the dead and is no longer bound by the things in this world that have corrupted our hearts toward disobedience. He is able to create permanent change in our hearts because of what he's done on the cross and because of what we're celebrating this morning. So my hope is uh, that we would see that the resurrection of God from the dead 2,000 years ago has changed everything, absolutely changed everything. His resurrection from the dead has begun, what a guy says, is the reversal of the curse that sits on us in this world, which is death. Physical and spiritual. His resurrection has opened the door to redemption, giving us newness of life, and has sealed a promise of eternal life with Him. This is what we celebrate today. These are the implications. This is how it has changed everything. Jesus' historical resurrection has changed everything. And I know that there might be some people here that might not know anything about Jesus, but if there's one thing we want you to know this morning or this afternoon is that Jesus Christ has died, but Jesus Christ has risen, and he's not dead. And so that's my hope for this morning. But what does this mean? What do do we mean when we say uh, that Jesus has resurrected from the dead? I kind of want to briefly go through what we mean by that. I want to start off by saying what we don't mean when we say that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Uh, We don't mean uh, revivification. right? This means that once you die, you are revived again only to eventually die again. This is what happened to a guy in the Bible named Lazarus. This is what happened to a little girl in the Bible uh, that was the daughter of a guy named Jairus, who was an official in the town of Jerusalem. He held some kind of political position. Jesus resurrected these people, gave them life again, but eventually they died again. So we don't mean that Jesus resurrected from the dead This way, that he was resurrected and eventually died again. We don't mean that. We we, we neither mean reincarnation, right? I know we don't really, uh, that that this kind of thought is not a a prominent one here in our community, but I thought I'd cover it anyways. Uh, Right? What happens at reincarnation is that at death, the human soul migrates from the physical body to another physical body, whether it be human, animal, or an insect. This is what reincarnation believes. This is not what we mean when we say that Jesus Christ has resurrected from the dead. He's not been been reincarnated. This is not what we mean. And then something else that we don't mean is that he has been only spiritually resurrected. We don't mean that. This means that the spirit of the human, when they die, has ascended to an ultimate spiritual dwelling. That is part of it, but it's not the whole part. It's not the entire thing. This is what we do mean. Jesus Christ was bodily resurrected. The body that had been flogged, scourged, bloodied, crucified, and confirmed, confirmed historically, without life, a couple days prior, had unraveled himself from the linens he was wrapped in 
and was physically removed from the tomb where he was placed, never to return. This is what we mean by Jesus Christ being crucified. His body was raised, he left the tomb, and he stayed the same, never to return back to the dead. This is Jesus Christ crucified. This is what we mean when we say that Christ has risen. Mark chapter 16, 5 and 6 says it this way. The ladies came to the tomb, right? Mary, the mother, Mary Magdalene, uh, one of Jesus' closest friends. And then another lady called Salome went to the tomb to do their little rituals that they do to dead bodies. And as they approached, they saw that the tomb was empty. They went in, they saw an angel chilling on the side. And this is what the angel said to them. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, confirming he was a historical person that lived in a historical town at a point in history. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Also, again, historical credence. He was crucified. He did die. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. See the place where they laid him. Look at the tomb. It is empty. Jesus Christ is no longer there. This is what we mean. But the bigger question is, right, we live in a world where we're thinkers, right? We're thinkers and we, we like to uh, process things intellectually uh, to see if they have any bearing on us. So the question is not historically did Jesus uh, raise from the dead. I think there's sufficient evidence of that. Christian and non-Christian evidence, right? Because people will say, well, that's what the Bible says. Well, no, there's... Guys like Josephus, who was a Jew and was against Christianity, who declared that there was a man named Jesus who resurrected. It's funny because he didn't believe in it. There was another guy named Cicero, who was part of the Roman life and did not believe in Christianity, also claimed that there was a man that did good deeds, including a resurrection of himself. So there is sufficient evidence historically that Jesus has raised. But the question is not, did he raise? The question is, what does it matter? Right? That's the question that people say to themselves. Sure, he raised. You can believe that. I won't. I don't want that. I, don't, I put a block here. I allow what goes in my mind and what affects my life. So the question is, what does it matter? That's what we want to tackle today. So if you have your Bibles, or you don't, which is okay, and you're sitting next to somebody that does, please be Christian and share your Bible. Okay? You can go to Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2, we're going to read 1 through 10, and we're going to try to dissect this and see what does Jesus' resurrection matter to us. 2012, Washington Heights residents, Inwood, Brooklyn, Bronx, wherever you're from. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'll read it for us, and then we'll get it in. And you were dead, you, me, us, were dead in your trespasses or sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of what? Disobedience. <clears throat> among whom we once lived in the passions of our own flesh. I do what I want. I do me. Carrying out the desires of my body, I want to gratify myself and the mind. <clears throat> and we're by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. That means all of us. If I missed anyone, that includes all of us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Thank you, God, for your work. What does it matter that Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave? I'll I'll keep it condensed. Just three things. First one is Jesus Christ has solidified, solidified, made sure our redemption from sin and to God. The fact that Jesus rose has solidified our redemption from sin. In other words, he's brought us back from the oppression of sin and has placed us in a path to God. What does the passage say about us? This is what it says. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were by nature children of wrath. We all naturally put God to the test. And I'll explain why. We all put God as creation and we put ourselves as creator. We always question God, all of us. And I don't think that it's bad to question him. What I think is bad is is that our questioning makes matters worse in this way. It leads us to doubt, lack of trust, and eventually we reject God and find ultimate, ultimate, key word, ultimate satisfaction in other things. This is what's called idolatry. We all do this. God has created us to worship. He has built it in us to desire. He has built it in us to have affections for. We are passionate people. And those passions and those affections and our time and our effort and even our money is going to go to something. And when we see God and we question Him and He doesn't give us the answers we want, we tend to doubt, reject God. And so our passions, our efforts, our energies, our money, our attention, our affections are going to go to something else. And this is what makes us, by nature and by choice, children of wrath. It makes us enemies of God because we're finding trust in something other than Him. And I know that that seems grave and that seems steep, but when God is the only thing that satisfies, when you go to something else, it offends God because you're not seeing him for what he's worth. That you're thinking that a girl, a job, an ideal, a position, an influence, a following has more worth. In fact, our minds think that those things have more eternal worth than the creator of those things does. And this is what we call idolatry. Look at verse 4 with me. 
It says here, but God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. How did he make dead people live? How did he take those who were dead and made them alive and made them alive? He resurrected Jesus from the dead. The oppression, the stronghold, and the penalty that that sin had over us was lifted and destroyed by Jesus when he resurrected. Right? Because this world has an oppression on us. Right? And I don't mean this world as in the people, because God died for the world. I mean the system. The world system that is in opposition to God has us under its oppression. And there is a penalty, and God says it clearly, that the penalty of that system and of our sin is death. And when Jesus died on Friday, he died in our sins, we declare. And the Bible shows us. He died in our sin, and when he resurrected on Sunday... He showed that sin has no power over him and does not have to have power over us if our faith is in him. So how did he make dead people live? Well, he raised Jesus from the dead. Sin, Satan, and death are out to kill us, but the way they will kill us is not how we think. They won't kill us with knives and guns, but they will kill us with giving us discontentment, dissatisfaction, and lack of trust. In Jesus and the very thing that we celebrate today, his resurrection. That's how sin and Satan are out to lead us away from God. I'm not satisfied in God. At least that's the perception. And I, 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 I think that this, hanging out with this girl, hanging out with this dude, doing this activity, having this job, making this kind of money is more satisfying now to me, Rich. I need this now. And God is saying, no, what you need ultimately is me, and I will provide for you. I want you to trust in me as the source, as ultimate, so that all the other things come from me. So when, so when the enemy and this world tries to influence you to dissatisfy you in God and take your trust away from God, or at least if you've never had it, blind you from trusting God, he's doing his job. That's what Satan, sin, and death want to do. You may be satisfied with, excuse me, you may be satisfied without the God that we preach this very moment. And you might be satisfied without God for a moment, maybe even until your deathbed. But death is the one and the last enemy that we cannot shake until, until Jesus resurrected. Because death couldn't hold him down. And so if our faith is in him, it cannot hold us down. And I'm not saying that we won't ever die, but its effects, its sting, as Paul says, no longer exists. Because Jesus has sapped the energy and the power and the oppression and the stronghold of death when he conquered it, when he resurrected. This is what Jesus is offering to us. You don't have to go there, but Colossians 2.13 explains it this way. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's just another fancy way of saying that we were dead in our sins. That our old lives was not uh, aligned with God. God made, alive, God made us alive together with him. There's that phrase again. Having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. This is how we did it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it, meaning the cross. Satan, sin, and death thought that they would bring thought that by bringing Jesus to the cross they would publicly shame him and display the defeat of God right during the 1970s i think it was there was this era called that the god is dead movement god doesn't exist he has no power there's no way for us to know him so he, he's not real he's dead and satan sin and death thought that by crucifying Jesus on friday and seeing him die they could declare to the world look God is dead. There's no hope for you. They thought that they were putting Jesus in public shame. But this text is telling us that when Jesus resurrected from the grave, he switched the tables on them. And he put them to open shame. That Satan, sin, and death do not have any power over us if we are in Jesus. He flipped the tables on them. And this has been the plan from the beginning. So it's not new. It's not like God said, Dad, he killed us. Right? It's not like God said, Dad, God killed my son. We got to try to flip it on him now. No, the plan was let them think that they have killed us. And on the third, when I resurrect you, Jesus, they will see that from the beginning, I have won this battle. From the very beginning. This is why the story in Genesis tells us that that when God and Adam and Eve sinned and the serpent was there and he deceived them, he gave them all a punishment, right? So that's like me having three kids, they all messed up. And I'm like, all right, you're punished, you're punished, you're punished, and this is your punishment. And he gave them all their judgment. To Adam, he said, from the sweat of your brow, you will find redemption. Then he said to the woman, by your childbearing, you will find redemption. There will be redemption. And then he looked at Satan and he says, listen, homie. The, the woman, Eve, will give birth to a child. And that child is going to be my son, and he's going to be God, and he is going to step on you, and he's going to crush your head, and you might, and you, and you will bruise his heel. Right? And for any of us, I don't play video games, right? But I know people that do. A headshot is what? It's a kill shot. And the Bible says clearly, not, not in Achilles, you don't die from getting shot in the Achilles. It might hurt, but you won't die. Right? <laughs> or in your heel. And the Bible says clearly that Jesus will step on the head of the serpent, killing him, and that he might bruise him as he does. But that it won't kill him. And this is the picture. That picture that we see in Genesis is Jesus dying on the cross, Satan thinking that he's dead, although it's just his heel being bruised. But Satan, when Jesus resurrected, was killed. His power is defeated. No more over us if our faith is in Jesus. Now if you operate outside of Jesus, then that still applies to you. In fact, the Bible says that, that the cup of God's wrath still stands on you. Because you can only receive that when your faith is in Jesus who has defeated it. Tim Keller, he's a pastor here in the city. He puts it so well. He puts this so well when he says that Jesus has, <clears throat> has bought our victory. I hope I can find it. 
I should have made it out another way, but here we go. It says this. I'm, I'm trying to waste time here, man. It says this. Hold on. <clears throat> I got to read it. I'm sorry. Here we go. Jesus had risen just as he told them he would. After a criminal does his time in jail and fully satisfies the sentence, the law has no more claim on him, and he walks free. Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for our sins. That was an infinite sentence, but he must have satisfied it fully because on Easter Sunday, he walked out of the tomb free. The penalty of sin stood on us. And there was no way we were going to be able to pay that. But God himself said, only I can pay this, so I send my son. He dies in that sin, but on the third day he resurrects, showing that the penalty has been fully absorbed by Jesus. And that faith in him credits his righteousness to you. That God no longer sees you, but he sees Jesus in your place. The same way he took the cross for us. Jesus' resurrection has given us newness of life. Look at verse 5. And as you look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. This is not a new way of living. When I say that Jesus Christ brought us newness of life, I don't mean a new way of living because we weren't living before. What I mean, rather, is that God made us new. This is what that means. Not a new way of living, but rather that he made us new. When I look at the world that we live in and I see the very little good that is in it, I think we can be honest with ourselves and say that there's very little good. Right? I don't want to be morbid and say that there's no good, but there's very little good in this world, and when I look at that, I rejoice in it. Something that my, that something in my heart and in my conscience still tells me that there's got to be, there's got to be more where that came from. There's, there's very little good, but even when I see the good, I rejoice in it, man. I, glo- I glory in that, man. Somebody gave the charity. Somebody helped the old lady. Somebody feeds the homeless. This is fantastic. Good. But there's got to be more where that came from. That's something that my heart and my mind, right? I'm not just led by emotion. Some intellect is there. And I'm saying to myself, there's got to be more where that came from. Then I ask, where does it come from? And I believe that we can say with assurance that it comes from Jesus. That the only reason why there's any good in this world is because of Jesus. That Jesus allows it to be and to exist. Jesus Christ The one who defeated the scariest, and if you're not scared of death, the realest thing that anyone in this world can face, death. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how many times they accuse us of creating a Christian religion because we were scared of death. When you are face to face with death, uh, and I only speak not out of experience, but at least out of secondhand experience when I looked at my mom as she was dying, I know that it is a scary thing. I'm convinced that is a scary thing. 
And so my trust is in the one who conquered the scariest thing that any one of us can ever experience. And that is Jesus and his conquering death. But not only do I look at this world and look at the good, very, good, very little good that there exists, but when I look at this world and I see the evil and the darkness that saturates it. Turn on the news. Read a newspaper. Right? Whatever the reason, but we know that evil and darkness exists more than good does in this world. I say to myself, there's got to be hope. There's got to be hope. If there's more where that came from, then there also has to be hope. And there is. In fact, there is a living hope. And his name is Jesus, our resurrected Savior. That this life is nothing compared to the one that Jesus is preparing for us. The one that he's bought for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. I got another Tim Keller quote. I know where this one is now. In the same way I shared with my son, this is not what he's saying, this is what I'm saying. In the same way that he shared, that I shared with my son to turn to Jesus. You remember the story? I asked Josiah to turn to Jesus, to believe in what he's done. The same way I told my son that, I'm telling you the same. The historical resurrection of Jesus changes how we think and how we view everything. And this is what Tim Keller has to say about that. He says, It's easy to feel as if the money, as if this money, meaning the, the money that we gain here in this world, is the only wealth we'll ever have. As if this body is the only body we'll ever have. But if Jesus has risen, then your future is much more beautiful. Your future is much more certain than just what we see here. Paul, a guy named Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians, he says, if we believed in Jesus only for this life, then we're the people to be most pitied. Most pitied. Jesus was just another great teacher. Jesus was just another great guy who did good things and even gave himself up uh, for a lot of people. But if he did not resurrect from the grave, then all this dressing up, all these things that we're doing are in vain and they mean nothing. But Jesus Christ has risen. And I no longer have to find myself under the pressure of thinking that the money I make in this world is the only treasure that I will ever have. That the body that I now have is the only body that I will have. And it, it's a bad one because after a couple of years you start to age. You get older. You start getting wrinkles. Your back starts to ache. You start to hunch over. You get gray hairs. We die. And if that's what I'm hoping for, then please, let's just walk, walk out the door. But we don't have to hope for that because Jesus, who was in our same body, who wept, who cried, who hungered, who got tired, whose feet hurt, who worked as a carpenter and was making chairs, and was making desks, and even, and even made, metaphorically speaking, the same tree he hung on. That Jesus, God himself, subjected himself to the same kind of limitations that we feel. Said, you know what? 
I'm going to make myself this so that I would die in this. And then when I resurrect, I can redeem this and glorify it. Meaning, I don't have to hope only in this life. I can hope for another one, a better one, a more glorious one, a resurrected one, a redeemed one, a divine one. That God invites us to partake in his eternity. And when Jesus resurrected, he solidified it. It's like he took a stamp and and put it across history and it says, paid in full. And he says, take this, I give it to you for free. I paid the bill. This is what his resurrection has done. I don't have to say, man, I'm getting old. I'll say it. You know, I'm still 28. I'm a young buck. It's cool. But I know in 20 years I'll be 48. 20 years after that, I'll be 60, and I'll get old, and I'll get wrinkles. I'll get cranky. Be one of them old, cranky Dominicans. Damn it, tranquilo, right? But I know that I have been bought at a price, and that Jesus sealed it, so that now I can hope for something better. That when I die, because Jesus resurrected and is the first fruits of those who believe in him, I will one day resurrect with the kind of body, with the kind of glory that Jesus had himself when he resurrected and that he has now sitting in heaven physically. This is the Jesus that we celebrate today. This is the Jesus that we offer you. This is the Jesus that offered himself. I always used to say, my mom passed away in 2007, and she was a significant impact to me in believing and being part of the faith. And I, said, I always used to say to myself, man, if I knew when Jesus is coming back, I'll go right to the tomb where she's at so that I can see her get up from the grave. And I can see that glorified body, and we can ascend to heaven together to see the man, the Savior, the God who redeemed us by him first resurrecting. And this is the hope that we have in Jesus. He's given us newness of life. I hope God is making you aware of your sins. I really do. Right? Not not as a bad thing. I really hope that he's making you sensitive and aware of the sins, of the rebellion, and even of the temptations that surround you right now to trust something other than him. I hope he makes you aware that you can see it. You can see it flash through your eyes. And that he pinpoints your heart and he says, this is what I want to correct. This is what I want to transform. This is what I want to redeem. I hope he makes it clear in your hearts. And as he does that, I hope that you would see. That as God would make you aware of that, that you would see the power that is made available to you through what Jesus has physically done, which is defeat Satan, sin, and death. I'll finish with this last point. Jesus' resurrection has sealed our promise of eternity with him. Jesus said several times, this is not, this this wasn't news, or at least it shouldn't have been news to the disciples. He said, I'm going to die, but on the third, I'm going to rise. He said it in so many ways. He said it implicitly, meaning he implied it, or he said it explicitly, directly, no beating around the bush. He said, you see the temple over there? 
I'm going to destroy it, and in three days I'm going to raise it back up. Now, because they weren't really seen, they really thought he was talking about the building. But what they didn't know, or at least what they forgot, was that the temple was representative of God himself. Because that's the house where God dwells. And Jesus said, I'm going to destroy God, but in three days I'm going to raise him back up. And then he said, all right, you don't get it. I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to resurrect. So it shouldn't have been news to them. In fact, he promised it to them. And still, on the second and even on the morning of the third day, you had two dudes walking down the road all sad and wallowing like, dang, what's up now? Jesus is not here. I gave everything to him. And the disciples were hiding even after the women came and said, yo, we saw him. He's alive. And they didn't believe them for various reasons. One of them, because they were women at that time, and women weren't very credible, right? They are now. We love you guys. But, right? Not at that time. And even when they came saying that, they hid like cowards. Nah, nah, nah. I'm, I'm, I'm too depressed. Stop talking to me. Right? He said it so many times to them. He promised it to them. He said, I need to leave. He says, so that your sins can be clean, your sins can be removed. Look at verse 6 and 7. Look at what it says. And he raised him up, and he raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There's no guessing. Uh, what happens in the end? We will all be resurrected. All of us. Christians, non-Christians, believers, non-believers. We will all be resurrected either to eternity with Jesus or to eternity without Him. All of us. But Jesus, is, if He's promised something, then His resurrection seals that promise. If He promises, man, I tell you, right? I grew up I'm not an old guy, but I grew up in the late 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, right? That's when I was at my prime. And one of the things we used to say, I feel like I'm trying to make it like I'm mad old. Right, one of the things we used to say was, word is bond, right? My word is it's my bond. That's what, that's what holds me together. That's, that's what confirms me as a good character kind of person. And of course, we distorted that. But Jesus' word, God's word is his bond. Because God's word is intrinsically connected to his character. And when he says something and he promises something, it happens. Jesus promised them that he would die and resurrect. He resurrected. Jesus promises that when he ascends to heaven, he will send his spirit. He sealed that when he resurrected. Jesus promises that one day he will come back for those who have his spirit in them to take them back home. He sealed that true, confirmed it, when he resurrected from the grave. I believe anybody that resurrected from the grave. But Jesus has been the only one to do that. Jesus has risen, and he confirms his promise to us when he resurrects. My encouragement is that if you don't know this Jesus, I pray to God that you would know him. I pray to God that you would have a relationship with him like this. 
A relationship that surrenders heart, mind, body, efforts to Him. That God wants us to know Him in a particular way. That doesn't mean rules or regulations or limitations. It means sincere. It means in-depth, not superficial. Love God, love others. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus in this way, sincere, not superficial, deep, we pray that you would know Jesus. Because he didn't die just to be a good teacher. He didn't die just to be a moral man. He died so that you would have newness of life. He died so that death, sin, and Satan would not have a grip on you anymore. He died so that you would not wallow in your sin and say, Dad, you know what? I didn't know I offended God. I didn't, man, I don't know what to do with this habitual sin and addiction. I'm so defeated. No, you're disobedient. God wants you to be in Him so that His victory is your victory. There's a union with Christ that needs to happen. And it happens to God's through God's grace and faith. We don't call you guys to good works. We call you guys to faith in Jesus. So if you don't know this Jesus, and we'll close with this. If you don't know this Jesus, we invite you this morning to know Jesus. We got our brothers in the back uh, that will help us with prayer. We want to... We want to ask you guys to respond to this good news. Right, why are these Christians so crazy and hyped? Well, that's because Jesus has risen. And there is newness of life and there is redemption from sin and to God. And we want you to have it. We want you to enjoy it. And we want you to share it. So if you don't know this Jesus, we ask you to know him. If you're sitting in here and you don't know him, uh, we got our brothers in the back. We want to ask you guys to just go to the back and have them pray for you, talk with you. Please don't leave this place without knowing Jesus. The Bible says that, the, that, that salvation is for today. Don't relent. Don't wait any longer. Know Jesus. If you didn't know you were offending God, then please know that you are. But don't wallow in that, right? I said on Friday... I want you to feel like a dirt bag, but I want that feeling to lead you to Jesus and reconciliation and redemption. Please don't leave without knowing Jesus. As I said, we got our brothers in the back that want to pray for you and introduce you and talk to you more about this Jesus. Pray for you. Get your info. And if you're a Christian in here, and you believe in Jesus and you have an in-depth, sincere relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that your victory is not in what you do. Your victory is, when, is in what Jesus has done. It is finished, he cried on the cross. And when he resurrected, he sealed that. And in Jesus, you have victory. In Jesus, you are called righteous. In Jesus, you're no longer enemies of God. You are children of God. And this is for you. And this is who you are. Don't boast in what you can do. Don't boast in how you can think and how you process things. Boast in the fact that Jesus has saved you. 
And if you're struggling and you're in sin, don't wallow in it. Be aware of it, but repent, confess. And know that Jesus says that if you come and you confess, God is just and faithful to forgive you. Why? Because he has already killed sin when he killed his son. And he has defeated sin when he resurrected him. That's why you can come to him. There is no sin too great that you cannot confess because Jesus has sinned and conquered it. Confess it. Repent. Know Jesus. And again, also you Christians, if you want prayer, please, we say this all the time, but our brothers are in the back. We are ready to pray for you. We've got David Fuentes in the back and Helidy Reimer who are in the back getting ready to pray for y'all. Helidy and Will, I mean, Helidy and Dave, could you guys please just raise your hand? Just take a quick glance. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. We invite you to that. For our believers, another way to respond to the gospel. If everything is good and you're just excited about the fact that God has been generous, that he has taken, he has taken the load of sin, the penalty, and he has paid it. And now you want to respond with generosity. You want to respond with saying, God, I acknowledge that you have died and that you have risen. We invite you to a time of giving and a time of receiving. We have um, each and every one of your seats has an envelope with a flyer and an index card. This is how it goes. For our believers, for people that are part of the CCF community, we challenge you. To be generous with God. This is for your money to put inside of your put inside of the box here. For our visitors, take the index cards. Please, please, we want to know you. 